Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. What's good, Internet? It's October 28th, and you are listening to Waypoint Radio, episode 518. I'm Rob Zachney, and I'm joined by Ricardo Contreras. Hello! Patrick Klavik. You got snapped. <laughs> and Renata Price. Me, Venom punished Renata. Uh, are you on so- Team Venom? Wait, are you playing? No. I, I, don't, I, don't have, I haven't gotten Venom as a card yet. But I'm, I'm very early. Okay, hold on. Do, should I just play this on my phone? Is that where I need to be? Yeah. Yeah, just, yeah, just yeah, 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 yeah. Pull it I, so last out. night. Should I the... download this too? Why not? It's so actually last night, kind of fun. I, yes. Um, I Look, I, I love the goofs. I love a little troll. Um, what I did not intend... I, I just put out a little tweet last night, which was... I had seen over and over... People talking about this game, Marvel Snap, which it's not new. It's new. It's like it's new, but it was not, hey, it came out yesterday new because I'd seen people playing the beta. I'd yeah. seen like threads on Reddit talking about the balancing. To, to be I fair, knew that it did drop wide yesterday, right? Yesterday well, was, that's what I mean. That's, yeah. what I, I'm, that's what I'm getting to um, <laughs> is, is uh, you know, I knew that, oh, I know that the ex-Hearthstone folks are working on a Marvel card game. Like, that seems like that could be interesting. Um, but then just this switch flipped and <laughs> everyone. And I was like, I know the new Black Panther's coming out. I know Rihanna's got a new track. I know that, like, we're on a, maybe it's a Marvel minute, but it's like, Mar- not Marvel people. They're also getting snapped. And, uh, yeah, so I put out a feeler and the response from a lot of people was like, hey, I don't even read like card games and I'm all into this Marvel snap. And that is, yeah, you can tell that is music to my ears. Of, <laughs> I don't like a card game and I like this card game. Well, okay. Then maybe me as a, a person who kind of likes card games could be interested. So I, I sent out a Raven also known as a tweet, a tweet. and said, Kato, could you go check this out and tell me if you think I would like it? Um, I'd be about forty minutes later. I I got a a, a GIF response back that was I've I've made, <laughs> a, I've made a huge mistake from Arrested Development. <laughs> yeah. Which then when you made when you said that I immediately downloaded it and uh, good yes exactly have, have come away uh, quite liking the frankly only 30, 40 minutes that I've played. But uh, Kyle, you played more. Do you want to set up? Oh. What, what is interesting about Marvel? There's a lot of interesting Marvel's things going on here, but yeah. you you've you've played a lot of these games before. So kind of on the baseline, you've got a kind of very simple sort of um, setup here where the, the the way to win this game is to control specific zones. There's three zones. They sometimes have special abilities. Sometimes they're just kind of normal, but usually they have some sort of special ability. 
And you play your cards into those zones, and each card has a power, like a number associated with it that is its power, and all the cards in that zone that are yours total up to a certain power. Whichever side has the most power controls that zone. You need to control two out of the three zones at the end of the game, after turn six, there's only six turns, so it's pretty quick. Each match has that, a set okay, time. You, you, you cannot oversell <laughs> yeah. how quick it is, which yeah. is part of the part of what I have found fascinating about this. Is it's like, smart. We we had, uh, you know, I was like, I got five minutes before the podcast starts. Maybe you know, yeah. maybe seven minutes if we do the call. I'm like, I don't know. I like I don't. I already caught up on email. Like, I'll open up Marvel Snap, and I played four games. Mm-hmm. I played four mm-hmm. games. Now, granted. It's early. I, I suppose there could be more deliberations. It could get sl- a little bit slower, but it is very clearly a game designed from the jump saying, hey, how do we accelerate sort of the, the psychological process of playing a card game yeah. and make it feel kind of action oriented, um, easy to read, and the games are going to be over at most five minutes at most. And my guess is most games are two, two to three minutes long. Yeah. There's like a set timer too of like if you don't make a choice, yeah, your turn, just, yeah, there's, your turns up. Hey, which I learned let's... yesterday when I accidentally put the phone down, didn't realize <laughs> I had accidentally clicked play and like walked away, came back, it was like turn four. And I was like, oh shit, and I like started playing. I still won that match. Still fucking won that. Are match. you still in the bot? Hey, so people question. don't. Yeah. yeah. Uh, if something says on reveal, if uh-huh. something is at middle location plus two power, does that mean? It has to be drawn out of a location, or does that mean like you play it? You play it on reveal. Okay, is so okay. Every so time reveal is play. Yeah, but, well, on reveal is basically when it flips over. You play your cards. So the way you play this is in turn based, uh, back and forth. Each turn you play, you play a card. You choose what to play depending on how much energy you have. You know, it's kind of standard card stuff. You start with one energy on turn one, two energy turn two, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, for the six turns. Um, when you play cards, basically. They get played face down, and then they're revealed. They get flipped up, and any on-reveal stuff happens, right? These, they have abilities that are yeah, on Yeah, not reveal. everything has a special power, yeah. right? So, like, these little, like, these three land areas can be neutral, um, in which it's just, hey, whatever cards have the most power, they add up, or how they are, their special powers interact. Like, for example, you can have one where, hey, if you play a card here in the next turn, like, yo, we're getting, bon- we're getting bonus bonus points here. Um, the, the, what Some of the really fun stuff is, so... It doesn't reveal the special attributes of all three spots when yeah. the match starts. I don't kind of does this change match to match, or is it always you're only going to get one on reveal and another revealed as the turns go on? I haven't played enough to know if that's dynamic or static. No, that 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 is the same every time. On turn one, okay. you get the very fur, the furthest left one gets revealed, and then two turn three two, gets you the other. Yeah, but you are but you can. You can put cards. You down can just put cards on down. those others. Yeah, hundred percent. So you can, you can, uh, so you can sort of just take a risk on, you know, like or for example, you could have. Uh, I had one in a match this morning where it was uh, every card placed here negative two power. Mm-hmm. So you know, in theory, you're inclined to put higher power cards there, which are going to come later in the match to try or have things that stack uh, appropriately. Or and then at that point, you're like, well, but I got this good card. It's all the energy I have to play. I could save it or I could just play it and I'm just going to gamble that whatever is behind door number two or door number three yeah. is going to be helpful or or at worst neutral. Um, and I don't know. That just makes for like a really – you just have to be so quick about yes. it. You, you frankly can't can't think about it. And I don't know if this is entirely the case, but a part of what sold me 
on this from people pitching me on it on social media was uh, one, the monetization does not feel uh, awful and soul sucking, which I can't tell if that's because this just launched and then the soul sucking is coming well, later. Well, that's usually the that's usually the way they play it. So it's hard to tell. <laughs> this is the well, issue. But, but, this is the issue. but also the people were, were mentioning and again, I don't know how much of this is uh, uh, like factual or just sort of anecdotal, but that um, the way it matches you up is going to be based on similar card decks, like pools of cards in right. which uh, you are not going to be necessarily matched with somebody who's played for 100 hours, has a bunch of cards you don't have. Like, the theory is they are matching up both on skill and, like, suite of cards so that you're, in theory, that is sort of, like, matching you up. Kind of, I mean, It just seems like people had a very good time. Like, they mm-hmm. don't feel like they're being cheated. They don't feel like they're being exploited. The matches are quick and all of those are like run counter to the things I normally like run up into in terms of like the card games, how much time I want to spend playing an individual, an individual round. Um, it's part of what I found it, you know, delightful lesson, like inscription, like it was fast. It's like, we're just, we're just rolling. Well, unless you're Robin Natalie and then it takes you 45 hours to play a, uh, to paint, game, a, to but, paint um, a masterpiece. Yes. Yes. Oh yeah. Uh-huh, Jesus. Uh-huh. <laughs> Yeah, uh, it's pretty excellent, and it's it's it definitely feels like so far one of those games that has a pretty low uh, like skill floor but a high ceiling. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can kind of tell at this point where I'm. Well, every once in a while, I still get paired with someone who doesn't seem to understand some of the mechanics, and I've just been playing a while. We probably Wait, have you've similar been pools. With Patrick. You've been playing with Patrick. <laughs> Lately, right? I don't think no, I've made. I don't think no. I've made it out of the bot zone. It's hard to tell. Like the game technically tells you that you are at a certain point of the tutorial that, yeah, like you can report. Yeah. You can rep- Well, I don't know. You can report users, but these users are making like very basic tactical mistakes that would would suggest to me they may just be built in bots to they like might be, feel yeah. like you're getting some some easy easy wins. But also, this game is probably being played by. A gajillion people. Yeah, a ton um, of, so enough that, that it's also possible that I'm playing against a six-year-old a, a, child. A child, yes, exactly. That doesn't that, that is still learning how addition uh, and subtraction uh, work. But yeah, uh, I, yeah, I, it's it's really neat. I, I've um, I've instantly made multiple decks, which is not a thing. Even in like other card games that I like, I usually stick with one thing for a while to just kind of really rock the like mechanics the base mechanics and it's like they're throwing they were throwing and like they choose you know this is the same for everyone they kind of choose the the path of like what cards they give you because it's all on one track it's not random yeah right it's not random maybe they will maybe they'll introduce things like that later that seems like it's very easy to imagine right a route they're they're going in which they introduce like more loot gotcha Uh, to be fair like style mechanics it's not random at first i'm collection level 34 um and somewhere around collection level what was it 18 20 18 um up until then every card that you that i was unlocking was like a specific card like yeah. it was like everyone's like gonna get jessica jones everyone's getting kazar everyone's getting mr fantastic everyone's getting nightcrawler um once you pass odin i believe then it's just like a little node that says uh random card right so you'll mm. just get a total random from then from then on but what's kind of different what's kind of weird about this one well, not weird but like you know notably different is that there's no 
real it doesn't seem like there's a way to purchase more cards uh where normally that is a thing that you want in a card game um or at least it's a thing that companies would want in a card game because that's how you make the most money it's like you, you dangle like hey there's powerful cards in here in a booster pack and then people buy booster packs trying to get powerful things but the way that this works is essentially every card can be upgraded visually uh they start as like a flat image and then the first upgrade you give it frame break frame break and like the the character breaks out of the frame of the card and then the next upgrade that you give it is uh 3d and it's yeah, just that, like that rules though because you yeah. it uses the accelerometer in the, in, the in, the, in the phone so that as you tilt it you're getting have you ever seen like those pseudo like 3d photos yeah. on like facebook yeah. and stuff like that it's like a fake 3d um it's just neat and but each time you i was just gonna say each time you upgrade a, a card like that way you get what is called the collection level and that is what goes into this collection level track which is like how you actually unlock more and more cards so right now all of that is like you get all of this currency in play to upgrade your cards um i think there might be a way to buy that and therefore it's kind of like a second layer situation of like you can't buy cards directly, but what you could do is upgrade a bunch of your cards visually, which gives you levels for the direction to for the collection cards, to right. get new to get new cards. And there are there is a season pass, um, yes. in which there are, there are cards locked behind the season pass. There are missions that you can accomplish that are sort of like sub objectives, you know. And of XYZ course, thing. of course, the first this this first pass is free. But we don't know when this pass ends. What those that sort of monetization is going to look like? But like, if that's where they ended up, in which yeah, the monetization is paying for a season pass compared to other card games. That seems like a fairly like, yes. in turn, like in terms of the toxicity level of the the monetization exploitation. Uh, it definitely season passes are are pretty are pretty decent. Yeah, it feels the the le- it also feels the least like of kind of like. Um, I don't know. I've played other other games with randomization mechanics where it's like it introduces you to that mechanic early on, um, and so you know even if you're not thinking about like oh I need more cards to build a deck, you're thinking like oh I can get more cards in this way, and the way that it presents it to you is like when you play a game like your cards level up, and then when they have enough like XP on them, you can visually upgrade them and that's just like the natural way that they present it is divorced from going to the store where other games will point you specifically to this to their store mechanics in order to be like hey this is the only way to like you know receive more of the thing that you want in this game yeah this is how i fell off the um was it beat star like this music i think that's what it was called this music rhythm game that the note charts excellent like has all the pop music that I'm listening to otherwise. Why wouldn't I want to do a a fun little finger tap on my phone? Well, but every, because it has essentially a health meter and every time you made more than uh, X number of mistakes, it was like, you're out of crystals, buddy. Right. Would you like to buy some? I'm like, no, like, no, I'm here to just listen to the cool music. Um, And there wasn't, it just felt like it was throwing it in my face all, all the time. And you know, obviously, it's easy to be cynical. It's like, hey, earn a bunch of goodwill, make a good game, right? And then hook them in, and then you know, you'll lose the people that are only going to invest 10, 20 hours, and the people want to put hundreds of hours into it. Well, they're the ones that maybe you can, you know, make a buck off of. Right. Um, 
but so far, uh, yeah, so far it's, it, it also, it's it's really interesting. They they've they've got a lot of fun variants as far as like part of the reason I made a couple other decks is like I saw synergies popping up where I'm like, oh shit, mm. I could I could build around this with some of the cards I already have, right? Like they they and I sh- and, I, and one thing I want to point out, yeah, I will never do that. <laughs> I'm not going to do that, and I, I don't do. I'm Thank not, you, Patrick. That, that, that's a, that's a promise. I think all of us are grateful for. <laughs> yes, um, but w- only what I mean by that is, th- th- frankly, when I usually when I play these games, I, I, it goes as far as now I have to start building synergistic decks, mm-hmm. and then that's where that's where it loses me. Um, both because I just have found. I have trouble like thinking of games in that way. I guess I could look them up. I just sort of get bored. Like that's just where I I want like a more like I'm having a lot of fun getting cards, kind of throwing them in. And like the fast paced nature of them means that like, yeah, will I play this game for 40, 50 hours? Probably not. But like, I don't know that uh, I'll I will get plenty of fun out of this game by just doing basic strategies as opposed to like 10 decks with 10 different strategies. Right. And so far, I think what's interesting about this game is that it is compatible with both those modes of play. There will be a skill, like a ceiling I hit that folks like Kato will be able to blast, blast through, but, and that's fine. Like that, that's part of what I found so tantalizing about, you know, even just the hour I've played with it so far. I was like, oh shit, I could see myself just sort of goofing with this and it's a low level lift. Um, and, and I guess part of the reason, again, like it's the, the high invest, the time investment is usually what puts me off of stuff right, like this. And totally. the fact that this, <clears throat> and so maybe I would get into deck building on this if only because it's like, well, okay, the games are only I'm not strategizing for an hour session right. that I might lose. It's like, no, I'm strategizing because I don't know, these these two cards seems like they'll stack pretty well, and then I'm gonna go play seven matches in ten minutes. Yeah. Um that's that's like a different level of like psychological investment that the game you know, I mean, it makes sense because it's on the phone. It's also on PC and stuff like that. I think there's a Right. It's someone on told me Steam? if you register it on Google, then you can sync like, if you're playing on iOS, mm. don't register with Apple. Like, like you know, the login stuff, register with Google so that you can pair that across multiple Ooh. devices. I guess that I guess that jumps better than... Um, than the Apple ID stuff. Than the Apple that ID stuff. I, I, I think that is the case. Someone was... Someone uh, DM'd me about that last <laughs> night. Um, uh, let's... Oh, go ahead. Sorry, I was just going to say, do we want to hit some news before we do oh, the rest of the show? I was just going to very quickly be like, we... What's funny is that we didn't even get to the part why of why it's called Snap, which is very interesting as well mechanically and just, but also a thing that I feel like a lot of people aren't gonna like deal with because it's it's purely competitive. So like, there's a competitive rank uh, that you get. Um, I'm in Iron right now because that's the bottom, but I'm about to bust into Bronze. And basically, at the top of like the the score screen, there's like a little like this is what your reward is gonna be a, a cosmic cube. If at any point during the game you think, I got this in the bag, you can tap that to double the amount of cubes you, you would get. But also, oh, no. if you if you lose the game, you lose that many cubes. So mm-hmm. I've won multiple games tapping that on, like, turn two, and my the, the opponent's just like, fuck this, I'm out. <laughs> like, they're, like, not willing to lose double the amount of progress in their like ranked matches is like very funny this added that's uh, i don't know why like that's the focus of it but that's the that's the snap it when you tap the little cube and like double like double down on uh on being like no i've got this uh it's a fun little mechanic uh that is really only matters if you care about the 
if you care about ranking up, right? Which is what this game becomes eventually. Is like it's purely PvP. It's purely against once you like. I mean, yes, there's a bot early like bot tutorials and a few like practice bots that I think are pretty obviously bots early on. But then after that, you're just matching against players. It's just about climbing, uh, climbing the the ranked ladder and like that little kind of gambling mechanic is is pretty neat. I think. One's got eight cubes because my opponent snapped back and then I snapped again and we were like, we're just all all in on it. It was very fun. Very tense. <laughs> yeah, the tension sounds unbearable. <laughs> it's uh, just like, shit. Do I have this? That's you, a, that's the did. thing. That's a, yeah, that's a, this is the thing too, is like, there's a lot of, there's a lot of like, turn six turns where like, you're like, I've got this locked and like the right card in the right place that you're not expecting can really just flip the whole thing. But that's, that's, and oh yeah, that's the delightful way. is like, you yeah. know, it's like turn six. Okay. The cards that have, they have the good eight, shit nine, on ten them. power could, if you play like that, you know, I know you call the Iron Man card a trash card in the, in the pre, in the, in the pre-show, <laughs> but there's like, just like for the sake of explaining, it can be like, very good. Like there's a, it can be very good. A play card, the right way. Yeah. There's a card that doubles like what you've got already like on on one of the spots. So like let's say it's like, you know, you've got eleven, twelve. Well, okay, then suddenly I've got twenty-four and I can probably put up a wall against even like a Hulk or an abomination that might yeah. add eight or nine. Um so it makes that final turn really tight. Because you know that way you could also the way cards duplicate and spread, you might only have one or two spots to put something. And so it's like, okay. Right. It's sort of like fl- like like playing poker. It's you, you know, can it's only like, have playing- <laughs> yeah. You can only have four cards in the location at one time. So you have to be careful about like okay, once you have the fourth one in, that's basically locked unless there's a card in there that has an ability that allows it to move around. Which so far I've only run into one. Nightcrawler can bamf mm. out of out of place. But apart from that, I haven't seen anything else that moves. So once you have four cards, you're kind of your score is kind of locked in unless you have something that will buff from a different location. Which is right. some of my favorite six drops actually are the ones like I have Spectrum, who gives any card with an ongoing ability just plus two power, and just like everything across the board is just getting buffed at the yeah. at the very end in a way that like has won me multiple games. Um, it's neat. It's neat. There's a lot. There's a lot of nuance there that I think I'm gonna continue to enjoy. We'll see how the monetization Sorry. plays out. Hey, uh, hey, uh, Patrick. Speaking of yeah. card games, though, I see they're remaking The Witcher One. <laughs> Was Gwent in the first Witcher? No, no, but sex cards are, and you gotta collect them all. <laughs> That's I true. didn't play. I didn't. Yeah, they're. Uh, yeah, they they are. They announced that one of the projects. I forget what the pro the the code name was, but it was. One of the ones they had announced recently, um, uh, CD Projekt Red has announced is uh, is going to be a remake of the original Witcher in Unreal Engine uh, 5. Uh, it's being by a, a new studio with creative oversight by sort of the main uh, hub. Uh, yeah, I so when Witcher 3, no, not the Witcher 3, I guess the, I, this was very early on. I remember when it was a giant bomb, Vinny Caravalla was a huge Witcher 2 fan, was like just... Just speaking to the void, none of us had any interest in playing. He was right. That game. He was right to do that. The Assassin of Kings is uh, tremendous. Well, so I, so then uh, I, I when the th- when the that updated edition came out, is that the Assassins of Kings or is that the, just the subtitle yeah. of two? That's subtitle two. Okay, but when they did that update, like enhanced edition, where they yeah. like kind of reworked some of the combat, the game came out on consoles or at least on three hundred and sixty. Uh, I picked it up, played 
Witcher 2, um, and, and that version is still pretty uh, rough, uh, but was was certainly playable and got me into the world and excited for Witcher 3. But I was told even by Vinny and other people, there's like, look, and this is 10 years ago now or, or whatever. It's like, I mean, you could play Witcher 1, but do you want to? It's, do it's, you want to? <laughs> I started I started playing the like the whole series as a project for myself a few years back. And no. No, I I, I, could, I, could, I got like, I think like probably 10 or 15 hours into, I, I got a substantial ways into one before I just, I just fell off of it. That game is. So this is kind of the thing is, uh, so I will say uh, Witcher 1 is worth playing the first chapter, which is a prologue and stands by itself. It's effectively mm-hmm. a Witcher short story. That is one of the greatest things in the entire Witcher series is the prologue like first story of the witcher mm-hmm. and that might trick you into thinking wow if the rest of the game is like this <laughs> tight and like well paced and like pays off like this this is going to be a treat and then they're like okay <laughs> the we're rest small of the game stu- we're a small studio uh you're gonna go into the city and you're going to spend like 30 hours walking around like the same five streets uh yeah. walking into the same identical homes uh, and occasionally go in a sewer, but mostly it's going to be this for the rest <laughs> of the game. It's tough to get through. Uh, MK just uh, so MK got Witcher pilled by the Netflix show because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. um, Henry Cavill's Geralt is hilarious and hot. Uh, <laughs> but so she 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 was like, I I gotta I gotta get in on this on this series. And she 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 did the thing. Uh, she takes maximalist approaches to these things. She spent like a, a week figuring out what the ultimate mod packages were going to be to really bring it up Queen. to like make it look awesome and like Queen. maybe put in some combat mods, make it play a bit better. So interesting so, that the two of you are a couple. I just I don't really understand how it <laughs> syncs up. Like, but then you know, she sometimes actually you does like, it. She actually does yeah, it. Yeah. I'm like, oh, I don't she know. is an executor. Yeah, Rob yeah. just never loads it, and then like I guess I'll play XCOM again. <laughs> Uh, but so it so like is it looked like she had set up like the best version of the Witcher one you can possibly get, and <laughs> those pacing issues are murder. Like mm-hmm. she doesn't, she does like MK. Once she focuses on a game, it's very hard to divert her from like finishing it. The Witcher's armor was so strong. <laughs> against mm-hmm. against being seen through to the end. Eventually she's like, I don't fucking care. I, don't, <laughs> I do not know what's going on. And I have lost the interest in finding out. And I think this is kind of the issue with uh you know, we're talking about the, the remake versus remastering thing. Uh the Witcher one, I don't think is a game you can just remaster and be like, this is what our fans deserve. This is going to make people happy. Uh, <laughs> if it won't. Just the textures on Geralt and those five streets and this, if this sewer just had HDR, I, I think it would all, it would all be fine. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the consensus I've heard from even fans, uh, like people that are like, Witcher super fans. So like, look, yes, it gets bad that video games constantly just recycle nostalgia and history to run a profit, but also, they're like a bucket of games that really could use like like just a ground up reinvention. And the Witcher has good bones, but also those bones are brittle and uh, you don't, you don't want to swing them around. And so I've seen nothing, but if there was a game to get remade, this is one that certainly could stand, stand to get it so that people could appreciate the good stuff that is in there. Um, 
like the story. I think this is a, a really stark contrast to people's response to the Silent Hill 2 remake uh, announcement. I think that's that is that is an interesting aspect of this is is like watching these these two remakes come out or announced around the same time as one another um, and and the different ways that like each is framed. Yeah, so it'll be it'll be interesting. Like this game is not going to come out for a long time, but it does seem like City Project is. Other than announcing things that sure seem like they would set up for an acquisition at some point. Boy, look at all these cool games we're making. Wouldn't someone like to buy us instead of us having to talk to shareholders as a developer all the time? I I think they're probably going to get a... This is not like a report. This is just... They just seem like they're setting themselves up to like imagine acquired. us on Game Pass, right? Yeah. Well, hey, wouldn't we be if you if 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 the European you know uh, regulators shoot down that Activision Blizzard thing? The first thing they're doing is writing a check for CD Projekt Red. Wouldn't I just be so pretty in the Game Pass library? Wouldn't I just be so comfortable sitting on the Game Pass chaise? Just imagine it. Our games are very long and poorly paced, and that's perfect for your coming subscription hike. <laughs> That's true. Because <laughs> Microsoft true, basically did say, like, not right now. Times are hard, but next year, price of a brick going up. Yeah, uh, it's, yeah it definitely seemed like, they, uh, yeah, Phil Spencer was at this Wall Street Journal forum that has a bunch of tech people coming through. And, uh, yeah, it, it sounds like they didn't raise the price of the Xbox, not because they just love the money they're making. It was more, I think, just to poke a needle at Sony to make them look greedy. And then if they raise the price of everything later... Well, then people won't be nearly as as upset. That's 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 inflation. Inflation is when you just raise the price of everything uh, mm -hmm, kind of mm -hmm. completely unrelated to current uh, economic (laughs) trends. And then you just call it inflation. So, you Mm -hmm. know. Money go up. Uh, But yeah, I I do think one reason like people might be excited about this as opposed to like uh, Silent Hill, for instance, is. You know, you do see an arc like every Witcher game got better uh, yeah. and like but the stuff that that series was going to be good at and the stuff that made it compelling was was there in the first game. Like I do love the Witcher one playing through that game is one of my favorite gaming experiences. I just can't recommend it to anyone because it's like, yeah, it's you're it, it's a bit like the it's a more intense version of the look Mass Effect one is mostly middling. But like the last act, once you get there after like 20, 20 some hours, it really kicks ass. And it's it's worth playing just for that. The Witcher kind of has the same logic, uh, but then you have two like better games that, that follow on. And it'd be it's it's easy to think like how cool the story of of one might be if it had a similar like sort of polish and presentation and were able to get away from some of the the grinding monotony uh, mm-hmm. of that first game. So. Hopefully, you know, hopefully it's uh, it's good. But I, but I I do think whatever they're going to make, it, it's not going to be the Witcher one as people have known it can't be. Uh, no, it'll I, be Witcher one through the lens of Witcher three. Yeah. Yeah. Do, do um, you think we'll get new sex cards? So that's a that's a Can great you explain question. the sex card thing. So um, you don't get these, Patrick, in real life. Uh, I thought. <laughs> uh, no. So. Out here in the suburbs of Chicago at Halloween, they've been warning us. You know, like it's not we're not we're not worried about drugs inside of the candy. There's right. those, those damn sex cards that people keep handing out. Uh, so in The Witcher, so uh, a big part of The Witcher is, uh, you know, people love to have sex with Geralt. Yeah, understandably so. Yeah, uh, and so. 
there are a lot of there are a lot of relationships in that game where uh if you like invest if you do a lot of side quests and everything you unlock socks which again like mm-hmm. you know uh realistic um and when you like when Geralt goes off and has sex, they can't they're not animating anything. This game is barely this game is barely held together. <laughs> you can you barely see characters like touch. Uh like characters mostly stand like or at standoff distance, like six feet apart, and like converse from that from that space. We're not we're not pushing the, the engine beyond this. We're not asking more <laughs> of our animators than that. Uh and so what you get instead is a card to varying degrees of lewdness. Uh, depicting the sexual encounter you just had, trying to get to his essence. Mm. Uh, and some of them are very horny. Some of them are horny and troubling. And some are very like, I shouldn't have done that. Uh, so, yeah. <laughs> but the uh that's that's basically the, the Witcher sex card thing. Uh, and you collect lots of them. Uh, ask me about the vampire. Oh. Okay, I looked these up. I see. I'm looking at them right now. I'm just I'm just I taking see. a look. Look at these. Oh my. Rob. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah. Sexy town. Uh yeah, sexy town. Um and and then and then like some of these folks are boring and you really you realize it too late. You're like, "Oh man, like no, Gerald, you could have done better than that." Uh, <laughs> 3 but, deep see in a skull. I see why you said some of these were a bad idea. Yeah. Yeah. So, oh, sorry. Which one? Uh, I said three deep. I'm seeing a skull uh, mm. and a, a, a complex necklace. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And a, some... is that a is that a pyre burning a foot and a half behind that woman? So that was a, that's a thing uh, that did make me question whether <laughs> I was on the right side of a thing. But I don't know. I still leveled that village for that lady. Uh, <laughs> so hopefully, it. Excuse me. Oh, yeah, you know, by, by some lights, they leveled themselves. Uh, I was, I merely helped, uh, help destiny manifest. Mm. Anyway. Rob, what, what happened here, though? Oh, okay. So, uh, <laughs> I don't like that one. If I see a chain, I see a, a feral harpy? werewolf vampire woman. So, I think. Queen of the Night or Blue-Eyed sec- Girl Sex? I don't know which okay, one. Gosh. This- uh, Queen of the Night. Hold on. Uh, let, me, let me pull up. I mean, if they were in The Witcher 1, I, I, I probably fucked them. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> That's going on the soundboard. Queen of the Night, I believe, is the... Uh, that, at least that's what this, is, this wiki is. Yeah, so, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so you go into uh, a brothel in Vizima. And you quickly cotton on to the fact that, uh, hey, uh, are some of the girls here vampires? There are actually a lot of the girls here vampires. Uh, and to be clear, it's not like it's not like a vampire honey trap. Like it is, it, it like they're not like just luring people in and, and eating them. Uh, but yeah, there's there's a lot of vampirism happening there. And one of the girls you run into, you you know, is that classic story of. I realized I was a vampire. My family rejected me. Uh, didn't believe in vampirism. Didn't approve my way of life. Uh, and they've been uh, out trying to find me ever since. I'm like hiding out in this brothel. Uh, and so 
you know, I, I did the gentlemanly thing. I helped her kill her whole family. Uh, and then we had sex. Yeah. What about the chain? Um, yeah, I think she was into it. I, I, my assumption <laughs> is, my, my assumption is, uh, that like the chain was sort of, Oh, that wasn't narratively established. Yeah, they didn't narratively establish the chain. No, I was kind of taken aback by the chain when it appeared. <laughs> First time I'd seen the chain. <sighs> I'm looking. Anyway. So she brought There's a lot scene. of these fucking cards. Holy shit! Pardon? <laughs> what about the cards? There's a lot, oh, there's of, a lot, lot of them. There's a lot of there the are, fucking cards. Yeah, there's a lot. There's, there's a, lot. a lot of these fucking cards. Yeah, so my suspicion is they might update that part of the game and it may not mm. make a, that feature may not make a return. Wait, is uh, that woman having sex with a lesbian pope? Hmm. Hey, could I see this card? <laughs> <laughs> lesbian I got you. Pope. Yeah, I mean that's a bishop, right? Is that a bishop? Yeah, it's not a full matter. Okay, actually, there's a lot going on here. <laughs> oh wait, is that a, is that a corpse behind that, them? That yeah, like that's corpse. definitely a couple. There's a, that's at least two corpses if I'm looking at that right. There's definitely one further in the background there, uh, and some sort of sickly green fog almost. I might have missed these two cute succubi. Shit. <laughs> maybe when's this remake? Rob, maybe come you're out? the corpse. Maybe you're the corpse. Uh, maybe you so didn't good. miss anything. I'll be honest. Yeah, this this situation looks like Geralt is a non-participant. I I think he is. He looks not welcome in this situation. Uh, so yeah. Uh, I my suspicion is we may not see the cards come back. I think uh, you're right. Or maybe we we'll get all new high res art. Who can say? High res uh, art. I, I I vote for high res art. I think that's absolutely what they're gonna do. Uh. Patrick, there's, there's one other thing that you'd flagged, which is that, uh, you know, Rocksteady just released uh, Gotham Knights. No, they did not. They had nothing to do with that? No, that was that was that was Montreal. <laughs> wow. Oh, wow. Well, they, but they but but they have they've been working on for the better part of a decade. Uh, oh, yeah. The uh, the Suicide Squad um, kill the kill the Justice League. Right, 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 right. I the Montreal forgot, studio worked I on about the Suicide Squad thing entirely. Yeah, is that the one with the um, shark? There's <laughs> a shark. The reason why there is leaving? a shark. Okay, there is a shark. Uh, that's one of the main the main I, characters. Did that yeah, come the, out? no. Uh, the co-founders of of Rocksteady who made three. Uh, I mean, to varying degrees. Like, but I, I like all the Arkham games. You know, I, I think the original is probably the best of of those three. But I, I quite liked. Um, the other two um, to, to, to varying degrees, but the, yeah, they've been working on this uh, suicide squad game for a really, really long time. Um, and then just uh, this week, the two co-founders uh, announced that they are going to be uh, leaving. Um, they characterize this as the, you know, the game being, uh, I don't have the quote in front of me. I'm trying to find, but the game essentially being done. Um, it's, it was supposed to come out this year. It's not coming out sometime like early spring, Next year, um, you can imagine it's in sort of like the polish uh, phase in which there's not a ton of design work. But uh, it's a little weird for a studio that made three highly celebrated Batman games in a pretty condensed period of time 
then worked on one game for an extremely long, like a, there's working on a game for a long time because games, games take a long time to make. And mm-hmm. hey, you should take your time. It'd be better if, you know, what's whatever that meme is. Like, I want games to look worse and take and be more expensive, take longer to make. And I'm no, not I'm not joking. joking. That's not yeah. what's happening with Rocksteady. Like, I don't think that was the ethos uh, here that has led to Suicide Squad taking an incredibly long time to be released. Rocksteady has also had uh, uh, been uh, claims about sexual harassment and, and other things happen over the years that have uh, kind of bubbled up as, as this game has been worked on for an extraordinarily long period of time. Um, I don't know. This is, this is strange. This almost feels like the, the two studio heads got an offer to go do a new studio. Boy, we don't want to work at this one that we built. Uh, who knows how good this game is. And then you go and, build the same types of games that you were that you were making before, uh, but just not under Warner Brothers uh, anymore. But very strange. Very strange. Doesn't mean Suicide Squad will be bad. Although I have my I have my worries about it. Um, but it is interesting that they're they're leaving at this point in the cycle as opposed to after the game shift. Yeah, I mean it's kind of a it's weird, like the um the whole Rockstar's reputation like is made with with Arkham Asylum, right? Mm-hmm. But you'd also look at it as the arc from there is I don't know, diminishing returns might be too unkind way to put it. I think Arkham, 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 Arkham Knight is quite good. That's the second one, right? Third and then one. Arkham City, third one. Okay, um, Arkham City is two, uh, yeah. which is like it, it, it's neat. It's over long. Conceit isn't. I think particularly cool, but this yeah the the city part it's, it's an empty city. Yeah. <laughs> And I, and I think Gotham Knight, uh, uh, Arkham Knight, does that better in the third game uh, yes, with the with the empty city. Uh, but like, it is kind of a weird thing where it's like, this is a studio that effectively has been like making and remaking, uh, or at least in, at its height was effectively making and remaking like one game uh, that they'd had sort of a breakthrough with. Um, and like, my assumption would be like Suicide Squad would not be like that, right? They have to stretch beyond what. Well, and also Warner Brothers as a company, uh, they signaled many some years back that they really wanted to make a pivot into live service stuff. Uh, I you you can see a lot of Gotham Knights, a game that has been not received particularly well. I haven't had a chance to play it yet, despite liking like all the Arkham games and at least want to give Gotham Knights. The Gotham Knights is like a strong when I am on Christmas break and I don't have to think I'm going to turn that game on and see what's going on in their uh, energy. But uh, you can see it's not hard to look at Gotham Knights and wonder, huh, did Warner Brothers want this to be a live service thing? And then halfway through, they said, eh, you don't have to do that anymore. Um, and it, maybe Suicide Squad also ran into some of those issues by being a four-player co-op thing, which is also what's happening with Gotham Knights. I don't think Gotham Knights is four-player co-op, but, you know, there's co-op and it's, you know, meant to, it's got RPG and upgrade elements and and things that weren't necessarily as, stuff that, like, can lend itself to a live servicey model more so than, what they were doing with the the trilogy of Arkham games. But yeah, it's it's troubling. I just won't be surprised if they suddenly announce that they have a deal with Marvel to make. <laughs> like, like we would like to go back to making a small contained Metroidvania insta- uh, inspired superhero game. And, but now we're going to do it with whoever <laughs> over at over at Marvel. Uh, there's a lot there's a lot of games we got to talk about uh for us the show so let's take a quick break and then uh get into a barrage of of games we've been playing
when it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. Uh, so, Ren, uh, you've been playing, you know, seeing, I've been seeing a lot of buzz, buzz about uh, Signalis. Yes. Uh, can you tell us what Signalis is? Signalis is a uh, low-poly, low-resolution 3D uh, horror game uh, released by a team called Rose Engine. Uh, it is pulling on some like really classic um, survival horror inspiration. Uh, it is, I, I would say, its puzzles are Resident Evil-esque. Uh, and it basically, you play as a, uh, it's, and if you've played near recently, you will recognize the words I'm about to use. Uh, you play as a replicant, mm. uh, who mm. is basically a, uh, a shell contained, uh, built to contain the persona or personality mm. file of a gestalt or a gestalt who is a real like flesh and blood human person. Right. Uh, and basically you are going into this facility uh, to try and find someone. You have a you have a photo of this person. You're going to this facility to try and find them. And so, um, you play as Elster. You go in there, um, and the game basically has you going down successively weirder and more unsettling holes as you dig deeper and deeper into this base and like the rules of the world start to fall apart. So it's got this really well-realized sci-fi setting um, that is pulling a bit on, like, late... Like, a very particular imagining of what Soviet uh, propaganda and, like, cultural organization looks like, right? And uh, you're moving through space um, and doing traditional survival horror things. It's tremendously well-executed upon. Its pacing is really good, its writing is strong. Um, it borrows a lot from uh, some American horror classics, uh, The King in Yellow. Uh, it also borrows a few phrases from H.P. Lovecraft. Um, and it all comes together to be like a really compelling horror game. So much so that last night I was like, oh, I'm going to put a couple more hours into Signalis. And then I hyper fixated on it for six hours uh, and just completely lost my evening to... Uh, digging into that game it's it's stellar uh how close so i we uh, kato and i played a little bit of this when we did um steam next fest demos mm. uh over the summer so if you want to see a little bit of the two of us poking at this you can see us doing that for like 15 minutes it was really striking um but part of the thing one of the things i couldn't parse from just the brief interaction i had with it was um there is you know we talked about this with silent hill right there is adhering to and uh, pulling from a certain era of these types of games uh, the, in which they are like much more deliberately placed, uh, paced, slug, like sluggish in a, in a, in a sluggish but complementary. Um, <laughs> it is meant to be slow. It is meant to be deliberate. It is meant to be uh, particular mm-hmm. with how it is de- um, deploying story, enemies, 
um, um, like inventory items. Um, but that can also be sort of like a cudgel towards a modern audience that maybe not, isn't necessarily care about that nostalgia. Um, so I'm curious where how this game rides the line of being something that for folks that grew up in that era, like, oh, shit. Yeah, I remember when games were made like this. Um but also being its own thing and also being fun to play if you don't have those mm-hmm. attachments to those genre conceits. Right. So I'm not like I I, I am someone who did not fully grow that's what up. I, that, I guess that's right. what I mean. Like you you are that kind of person who may culturally may understand it, but didn't live through it and right. have like, damn, I liked it when, you know, it, it was not relative cameras. I liked it when we were tanks. Things were better that way. Yeah. So, I mean, I think the game is really good. Uh, One of the mechanics that I've been thinking a lot about is its decision to only ever give you six inventory slots. You have six inventory slots. So we're not rotating. We're not, we're not doing any like the, like vertical horizontal shuffle. It's just you have six, regardless of size, You have six, regardless of size, you have six. So what's in my inventory? Well, like at any given snapshot, what am I, what's in there? So most of the game I have been, so I, I got through this like pretty tough segment a little bit ago. During that segment, what I was carrying around to do these puzzles was a revolver, which I wasn't carrying ammo for because I needed Mm -hmm. that slot. I had a Mm -hmm. flashlight, a eye to take pictures with, um, a revolver, um, maybe... Why do I have the flashlight? What's important about the flashlight? Some rooms are too dark to see in. Okay. Some rooms are physically too dark to navigate without a flashlight. Or and then what? Why do we need to take photos? Uh, so there are certain puzzles um, where okay, gotcha. So like for example, there's this one uh, room where I'm not going to spoil the actual thing, but you have to do a thing, and it shows you the password to six different doors, some of which you have already encountered, and so you have to use this camera to basically take pictures of what the password looks, or write it down. I just chose to take the picture uh, and taking the picture and like okay cool i've got this i'm gonna keep this eye with me until i finish this sequence and you know get through all of these doors um so that is why i have the the eye on me to take photos uh and then i have two inventory slots open uh in order to pick up puzzle elements um or interact with puzzle elements because you can't drop items you gotta put it in a box you have to put it in a box or you have to use it if you are the boxes universal? Yes, they are. They they do okay. they do transfer. Uh, gotcha. But if you have say one revolver shell, sorry sorry one revolver round, and it's taking up an entire inventory slot, mm-hmm. it may just be worth firing that shot off and reloading it because like, what are you gonna do? Like you that that is taking up way more space than it's worth, and so it led to me having this play style where like. It was very backtrack heavy, yes. But the backtrack heaviness was always like, I always had a new puzzle element to interact with. So right, it's like, like- You were doing something along, like they, they're, they're, so frequently what would happen in these games if either, either like you don't plan well or the game plans poorly mm-hmm. in, in, in my estimation, where like the backtracking is, you're not doing anything, yeah. right? Like there's nothing that's happening from A to B. There's not like a new set of enemies. There is not some new element that you're interacting with. It is purely just- boy, I wish the box was here, yeah. but it's not. And this door is locked, which means I have to go all the way around the mansion to yeah. like go to this other box. Yeah. yeah. So instead it is like, okay, cool. 
I have I have my revolver, I have a puzzle element for this specific thing, and if I go past this specific thing, I can get the item I need to open that door, and while I'm over here, I'm going to check out this other room that I've been putting off, because I think I have all the puzzle elements for it, but I'm not sure, so I'm just going to dip in here, check around, and as you're doing this, you're just like absolutely white knuckling your gun and just being like, I will not shoot this unless I absolutely have to because I don't have the inventory space for the ammunition. And that feeling of being like, I am going to trust myself to only have six revolver shots. And if I fuck that up, that's on me. Like (laughs) this is all I have access to. And, and that sensation as you're moving through the game is, is, is really good. And it is paced in such a way and items are placed in such a way where so much of the resource scarcity is not stripped from you by like the, the joy of resource scarcity isn't taken away by uh, hoarding objects because of that limited inventory system. Right. I so can, you can, you might have 30 bullets, but you can't carry 30 not, bullets. Not, you got to go back. Yeah. Right. I'm not carrying 30 <laughs> bullets on me or like I have a shotgun I have not been using that shotgun for hours. Be- so that was my question is like, if you, is this somewhat to a degree of like a play style choice yes. versus a, like the game exerting pressure in terms, like, as you said, like resource scarcity, where it's like, you know, typically we, we've talked about this, especially like it was acutely when Rob played the resident evil last year, it's like, mm-hmm. Hey boy, it's like really stressful in that first half of the game where like every bullet feels like it counts. Shit. Did I miss that? Like, aiming up to take out a zombie's head. Yeah. Fuck! Like, I only have six more. And then halfway through, it's like, well, how do we want to torch this room? Like, do we want to use acid grenades? You know, like, that's just sort of the arc of these types of games. Um, but it's interesting that you're describing sort of like the pressure plates operating differently because you're not managing the inventory in terms of uh, how am I going to manipulate this space? It's just these individual slots right. then line up with a play style. Right, exactly. And so, like, I've I've been walking around this base being like, man, there's shotgun ammo everywhere, but I do not have room in my inventory to collect this shotgun ammo. So the shotgun is just going to live over in that box. I'm not using I trust myself with this revolver, which I have found 18 bullets for over the course mm-hmm. of this game. And I'm just going to use this revolver to do its good work. Um, and so. It's it's really compelling mechanically. The puzzles are all solid. There's only been one puzzle so far that like really fucked me up. And it only fucked me up because I didn't find a note that was like basically showing you how to do that puzzle. Um, it's got some really cool, unique, like unique mechanics. Like it's a radio system where you have to tune a radio in your character's head to certain frequencies in order to either uh, hear a safe combination or to wait that's like being repeated yes over the inner yes <laughs> all right that's good well, oh and then so then so then like you, you must be like finding in the same way that you find like a key co- like a you know key uh, you know key code you're finding frequencies that that's what allows you to then yeah. unlock yeah okay that's good you that's al- good. You, that's good. you also have the you find notes everywhere or it's just some dude being like oh my fucking god they keep finding the code broadcasting frequencies. We're banning radios. We're we're That's we're great. banning well, radios on base. If you're gonna we're make do- one of these games, no, we're done with this. Yeah, if you're gonna make one of these games, you have to have somebody taking extremely detailed notes as they're dying. Yeah, um, like someone is banging on the door and they're writing a note. Like this is it. 
I can hear them at the door. Like, what are you doing, bro? Why, why are you writing this? Why are you writing this down? Because he wanted the player to read it and it rules. Because that's <laughs> that's just what these games did. Yeah, I mean, like that is that the other thing that I really like about this game, though, and and its writing in particular, is that it is. It's kind of leaning into that into that sense, Patrick, but it's also leaning into a sense of dream, like dream logic that is just incredible. The characters are becoming trapped in loops of dream logic such that those notes where it's like they're banging at the door actually feel like earned and and mm. like they make sense in fiction because characters are being caught in these some like almost reality. Um the game like leans into body horror as it goes on in ways that are incredible. I was going to ask about that that eyeball. You said yes. it was an eyeball that you're carrying around in your pocket. Yes. Um, there is also uh, it's also let me just note here, extremely lesbian game. This is a game about <laughs> a girl trying to find her girlfriend, uh, and the like complicated relationship that these two women have to each other based on their. Uh, respective roles as gestalts and replicants. And like the game is interested in the questions that it is raising. Uh, it is interested in the fact that all of these robot bodies produced to be tools for the state are women. The mm. game is very clearly interested in that. And so like Signalis is like checking all of my boxes so far. Um, I am, I believe in the very last third, um, the game also has like some solid poetry in it. Just like solid, like just like good writing, uh, deeply unsettling. Um, just I, I, I cannot cannot recommend it enough. I think it will cement itself on like at least in the top five of my game of the year list, um, unless they really fumble the bag uh, in the last like hour. Because I am just I am in love. Wow. Okay. All right. I'll I'll move I'll move that up. Should play should have played that instead instead of the end of scorn. <laughs> Since you went there, hey Patrick, how was the <laughs> end of scorn? Uh, uh, hmm. uh so uh, scorn a uh, first person, uh, well, a puzzle game until it decides to become a puzzle combat game. I believe that when I discussed it uh, a couple of weeks back, I mentioned being puzzled at hitting pause and realizing like, why in the D pad would I have access to four weapons? Like I don't have any weapons right now. Well, eventually you do. This is, this is a game that is like deeply inspired by uh, HR Geiger, like, like take, take the aesthetic of alien and uh, you know, map that onto an entire environment. Um, I, I, the aesthetic is very cool. The aesthetic was enough to get me to the end of this game. Some of the visuals uh, are like fucking astounding. They are they were so worth seeing, not in a captured video of a let's play uh, or in screenshots, but like worth seeing for me, like uh, in a monitor with headphones at night. I I just wish it was a more pleasant experience getting there mm -hmm. from a gameplay perspective. I think the puzzles are rote and boring and uninteresting the combat is awful like aggressively like off-putting and there is quite a lot of it in the middle chunk of the game uh that it doesn't exist for any reason it is not as though it is illustrative of what what are the dynamics of the the creatures in this world is this telling me something about 
this space that I didn't understand before. No, it is there to give you to something to do. And the entire time you wish I could not do it Um, because this game exists. It's best foot forward is its spectacle and its visuals. And I'll say early on in this game. So it takes the Geiger stuff and Geiger's, you know, artwork, broadly speaking, extremely sexual alien still sexual, but somehow not as sexual as what Geiger does outside the realm of alien and scorn broadly. It's like fleshy and gooey, but like, isn't going there quite yet. And then, and then you get to the final area of this game and hold on. I need, I need to browse to screenshot. Um, and then you start getting to the end of this game and you start seeing some statues um, around. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to post, oh. hey. um, I'm going to post something here. It's depending on the reaction. This may spoil part of scorn. It's nothing to spoil. There's literally nothing to spoil on this. It's all vibes, but just like, what do you think is going on in this screenshot? Oh, oh, that's a. That looks like insides, but on, but, but there are. Yeah, but like on the outside. No, no, there's 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 a a device pump situation happening. There's a pump. There's a pump happening here. (laughs) Oh, shit. Uh, Yeah, Hmm. I mean, this game largely doesn't have a story. And then at the end, there are some implications about like what might have, might have happened to this world, how it arrived. There's some pretty easy, um, uh, things you can draw about like what why why is this world obsessed with reproduction and, and bodies and things like that and I don't know that it has much to say but it is visually striking and that is where I end, end with it. I ended up playing this game in the back half on my phone with a walkthrough not to spoil how the puzzles were done but because I no longer enjoyed exploring the labyrinth environment I enjoyed the visuals but I wanted to get to those visuals I wanted to get to the next aesthetic set piece and like going in a maze while I tried to not use up the ammunition I had because I didn't both didn't want to do combat and because also I might run out of ammunition and thus make the combat and exploration harder. Just I didn't want to do that. If I could have ratcheted those things down in the some sort of accessibility settings, I would have, but I couldn't. And so the next best thing was to just look at a walkthrough that said, go right instead of left. I'm like, gotcha, I'll do that. And I was able to sort of reduce the friction on the game to enjoy it at its like basis level, which is just these incredible visuals. And so that would be my recommendation for folks that if you decide to jump into this, like, unfortunately, you can't turn off the puzzles. Unfortunately, you can't turn off the combat. But, you know, go look up a walkthrough and help you help guide you past some of that stuff, because there are some truly like tremendous imagery that is is hiding in this game. Um, uh, I mean, this this boy did not. This put this poor giant creature. I was just walking around pulling levers that would open giant sacks in its flesh, and it would just drop out. But those flat, those like those when it, the flax of uh, this, the flesh would fall out. But then it created a hallway for me, and there were more levers for me to pull. And so I felt bad for him. But um, <laughs> such is the nature uh, of of my, of my quest. Um, but you get like this is this is a good example. Like like this is a screenshot from the game that I took last night and like exploring this space and seeing this spider web of just nightmarish imagery is, mm, is beautiful. Um, I just wish the act of playing it was better, but um, I think if you go in with the right expectations, you can, you can have a good, well, I don't think you're gonna have a good time, 
Scorn is not necessarily about having a good time, but it is like, would you like nightmarish vibes? Yes, I love the nightmarish vibes. Well, it's got them. Um, so I have been playing a bit of uh, Vampire Masquerade Swan Song, of all things, uh, just because I'd seen some things that it was sort of a a a, a sort of a, a narrative sleeper in some ways that it was, it was pretty solid. And I'm I'm still fairly early, but I do really I'm surprised how much I'm digging it. So it's by the team that made the council, which I didn't play, but I always thought looked kind of cool, but I couldn't quite handle the the extraordinary gentleman of it all um where it's like what is it like enlightenment era superheroes basically gathered up at a murder mystery island uh in in the council um <clears throat> but so oh, this game this game came out a couple of some this game pretty much earlier this year right yeah and i was talking to galt and galt mentioned it was apparently like a bit rough at launch but uh <clears throat> so i'm playing it i have not encountered that the only like real issues i've run into is um honestly characters with long hair every time they're like instantiated in the scene their hair seems to fall so every time it cuts to them their hair appears to be like falling from a great height onto their <laughs> heads almost uh but it's more like the the braids do uh mm-hmm. where it's just the, the physics of the the long hair are, is is just absurd uh but so it is a it is an RPG, but as far as I can tell, it's like the only combat there is, the things you're leveling up is conversational combat and your ability mm. to do detective stuff. Nice. Uh and the sort of the setup for the game is it's set right here in Boston. Uh mm. and Boston, uh, as it is in real life, is dominated by two poles, uh Salem and Hartford, Connecticut. Uh, these are the these are the two. This is the north and south. The the uh the, the polarity of 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 Boston, and Boston has sort of been a battleground for these two. Uh, they're they're called like chantries. Think like mob families. I guess I'm not a I'm not a world of darkness person uh, mm-hmm. per se. Though I might be if uh, if mm. uh, this game's a very good primer for the world of darkness. No sooner have you started the game. Then you open up uh like the world glossary and it's stocked. It introduces new new terms as you go along and, and new uh, like learn new things. But from the first, it's like, do you just want to read a ton of reference material about your characters and what all these worlds darkness terms mean? And I was like, well, yes, I do. Because I think <laughs> this will help me understand. Uh which on the one hand can mean that this game is very perplexing and hard to get into because it is all it is all world of darkness shit from the start like it is oh my god we're starting the middle of the action the uh the leaders of the uh the the court the vampire court in boston uh were were finally brokering a peace with the hartford uh chantry uh but oh my god it appears that the party we were having to celebrate the sign signing of the treaty has been raided and everyone what? might be dead code red. Oh. We're entering full lockdown and we have to solve like what happened here. Like what, what caused this attack on the, the treaty party. Uh, and to do that, we're going to have to have three different vampires become detectives and work together on this case sort of, but also kind of work against each other. But you're all like, People are just saying words, you know, I don't know what that word means. And so you're constantly dipping into the glossary to be like, okay, 
So what does it mean that this person's Malkavian? Is that is that important? And the answer is no, but it feels kind of important. Like there's a lot of like, <laughs> oh man, a real uh some real virtue shit uh with, with these with these folks. Uh oh man, he's a he classic Nosferatu vampire crap. Uh, there, there's a lot of that going on. There's a lot of, a, a lot of history here. Um, and yet it's the thing that's kind of cool about it is that there is the sense of history that, uh, you have sort of been thrust into the middle of a story where, uh, there are decades of backstory here, uh, that are, that are sort of in play as this, uh, as, as this sort of crime is investigated. Uh, the, your your point of entry into this game is through three characters who are all sort of summoned uh by the uh by the prince um of the of the vampire court uh prince is just a term for the for the the head of the court uh it's it's not a it's not a gender term uh so right now there's sort of a new prince who's been installed and she calls three people that she feels she can trust for whatever reason to investigate uh this this attack uh she brings in mm who feels like the 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 mainest of the main characters um she is a she is a nightclub owner uh but she was turned in like the roaring 20s uh so she was like a uh, she was an American woman uh, who like moved to Paris with her with her jazz man father after World War One, and like she's just so awesome uh, at dancing and music that she's she's turned because uh, the vampires like like her vibe. And but now she's sort of become a bit disaffected. She lives in Boston with the rest of these folks, uh, and and she's sort of the I guess like Rick from Casablanca type character, like trying to stay out of vampire politics as much as possible really just wants to run a successful like nightclub business uh and and like uh sort of have have a space of herself um maybe more interesting in terms of like what's going on with the character is uh Laisha who is a prophet that the vampire court is using for like her prognostications but as is often the case you know, the burden of seeing the future and the unpredictability of the gift means uh, she she at least thinks that she's uh, mentally ill. Uh, she spends a lot of time like being institutionalized and she seems to feel it's for her own good. I have real doubts about whether that's true. Like the she, she her her care is being supervised by a member of the uh, of the Boston courts uh, like high council. Um, oh, that's convenient. Yeah, it's it. Yeah, that's that's exactly like it's she's and and the real leverage they have over her in some ways is uh, you are accompanied as Laisha by your daughter, uh, who's also a little vampire. Um, and so, do vampires you, have kids in this universe? Or is this usually like a, not. Or are they, they have, are they convert are they converting children to be right. to become their children? Yeah. So this is unusual. This is her actual kid. Uh, huh, okay. And is like, the kid a vampire? Yes. Uh, hmm. So the kid is also perpetually going to be like eight, nine years old. Oh no! Total interview with a vampire type shit. Yeah. Ooh, hate to hear uh, it. I hate to see it. And also is wondering like, why does mommy go away for sometimes like three years at a time? 
uh, because she's being like kept in a clinic. <laughs> oh my God. How uh, old is the children? The child at this point? Do we know? Uh, we do, but I'd have to look up what that, but a, a while. And it's not clear to me how much she's going to progress, like mentally. So that was my question. Like, are they she treating her like, like she's a little an kid? Eight? Yeah. Okay. Huh. Oh. So she's in, in, in interview with a vampire, you know, she is, she is mentally, uh, you know, an adult and is just stuck in the, in the children's body. I'm just curious how that, I'm sure different vampire universes work, operate that in different ways. I right. guess that, maybe that's more of a blessing to just always be like, I'd rather that. Oh yeah. Right. Like sure. to just sure. stuck being a 10 year old forever than just like having a 10 year old body and you know, the mind of a 300 year old. But yeah. So like, so she's called in, she can like, she is overwhelmed by the power of her visions and the darkness of her visions. Uh, and so but she's also like being turned loose by the prince uh, to sort of investigate this because her gifts could come in handy. And then kind of the the one that feels the most. Uh, classically vampiric for me is Galeb, uh, who is, I think, the oldest of the vampires you're working with, literally canonically. Uh, the heir to the Ottoman throne uh, around the time, like. On, like in the 1700s mm. uh and then court politics being what they are was forced to flee and fake his own death and became a vampire that rolls that fucking owns <laughs> and basically like his bio like all the characters have biographies some are long his is really long because like he basically has three lifetimes you have to get caught up on one is the period where he's like uh, with infinite time and resources, uh, I, you know, I'm going to uh, basically journey the world, uh, getting really smart and creating like a small little like trade empire uh, for, for myself to facilitate like, you know, travel and, and comfort. And then there's this there's a period where he gets really deeply uh, involved in like Boston business. Uh, and here's the other weird thing. The. This game has a real startling handle on like the specific history of. Massachusetts in a way that freaks me out a little bit. Like there is a character. That is like uh, so and so uh, was was turned by a corrupt uh, a corrupt mill mill owner Uh uh Nate Nathaniel Appleton. Well, the Appleton Mills are like two blocks away from me. Uh like the like it's yeah, the Appleton family was huge in textiles uh <laughs> ar- around here. And so like there's little bits uh little bits and pieces of like okay, they're borrowing from like New England colonial history. They're borrowing from industrial history, etc. But Galeb uh basically becomes really good friends with like a magnate in Boston. That friendship is passed on to the magnate's son, and he sort of like remains guardian friend to the son. And then one day the son's like, hey, Galeb, like, you know, you're like a father or older brother to me. But, man, I'm getting old. Why aren't you? (laughs) And Galeb has to be like, well, uh, okay, kid, I'm a vampire. And is convinced to like turn this guy. And immediately, like the minute this guy becomes a vampire. Galeb realizes he's made a huge mistake. That like maybe the dad was cool, 
but actually the son is a mercenary power hungry shithead oh. and now Caleb has just created this vampire with access to like limitless resources and money uh and like an appetite to use all of it for gain so like this guy is in the background of this he's very very high up in the court and it's kind of like Caleb's original sin where um <clears throat> you know he is trying to basically he basically he's trying to clean up a mess he thinks he's created and hasn't fully been in the open with a, a, with anyone about like he knows and the character bio knows this guy is like pure fucking evil publicly mm-hmm. that is not known he has not been able to speak publicly about like hey i think we've actually like raised someone to uh, the the court uh who's incredibly dangerous to all of us anyway uh all all three characters We'll have to do their own bit of the investigation. Uh, the way like conversational combat happens is they use their vampire abilities to like, uh, you know, maybe you need to intimidate somebody. And what they do is just they do like strength checks, um, character to character. So like, <clears throat> someone's, uh, someone might have an intimidation skill of three. So if you want to intimidate them, you would need to beat their three, and you can do that by spending vampire focus. You'd be like, oh, man, my, my baseline stat is only two, but using my vampirism, right. I'm going to dump a lot of energy and intimidation really sell it. But that'll make you hungry. Like you can you can dump a lot. But of- so using your your the vibes of intimidation saps you of your. Yes. You, then you got to feed. Yeah. OK. <laughs> uh, the vibes are hungry here. Yeah. And I will say like the one disappointment is I don't feel like. The game is not incentivizing me using those powers a great deal because so many of the things are so lopsided that I'm like, to overcome this person's resistance to my abilities, I will have to dump a ton of points into this. Uh, and then my character is going to be like ravenous. And it doesn't seem like I really need to win this like encounter. It doesn't seem like I really need to get them to tell me the thing. Uh, so I'm just not going to do it. And then the chapter is over. And I'm like, okay, like, I'm sitting all these abilities and I haven't really had cause to use them. Uh, so I think I'm, I'm just going to be more aggressive about it moving forward. But how far are you in at this point? Uh, I am starting to investigate the actual central crime. Uh, the, the, the massacre as it were. I uh, just so I'm wonder, fa- fairly early. The thing I'm wondering is whether or not any of those like early deciding not to use them will uh, circle uh, back around to, is this it does this feel like the kind of game where those decisions are going to affect for uh, so plot hopefully it actually kind of foregrounds that at the end okay. of the chapter you get a report card on how you did and it's like <laughs> here's things that you outright failed like this mm. happened wasn't supposed to bad you also get a list of things where it's like you know this person had some things they had to tell you if you pushed them harder but you didn't get information mm. and then it lists your success so, like, I did come out of, like, one tutorial chapter as Leisha where, like, uh, I had a conversation with the shithead dude that, that Galeb secretly hates, that, that, he, that he turned into a vampire. And there was a conversation where I, where I had two sort of lines of attack on him I could have taken, but it would have taken, like, all my strength to sort of persuade him to open up about what he was actually thinking. And I didn't. And then the game was like, you know, you could have learned a lot more from him. And it's like, okay, it's lesson learned. Like, right. this does seem like it's not a game where it's like you should use it. 
it seems to me I was approaching it like this where, you know, say I've got like 10 points of like stuff. I can, I can pour into these stats at will to like buff up my stats. I was thinking that I'd be looking for opportunities where like it would only take a couple points to win the encounter. Right. And I could do that multiple times and Just tipping, tipping yourself over the line. Right. Basically. And then I wouldn't hurl everything into like overcoming uh, someone who's clearly too strong an opponent. Mm-hmm. But it actually seems like the game is kind of built around like you picking your moment right. and just pushing all your chips uh, into it. Mm-hmm. And that's probably how I'm, now there's one other thing that I should. With all the characters, the game gives you three archetypes for the type of character you could be. Mm-hmm. Or you could. Make your own character. Invest the stats yourself <clears throat> and Rob, make choices. Did you, Rob, did you fuck up? Rob. Did you fuck up real bad? What did you do? I felt like all their archetypes might have been excessively min-maxed and uh, oh, no. maybe need to be slightly more general. Oh, you tried to make a generalist and you can't do anything. <laughs> not, not just a generalist, Ren. Three generalists. Three generalists? Have you tried to th- make aren't they, three Aren't they min-maxing because they're classes? They're spe- that's called specialization, Rob. You're right. No, they're archetypes. Uh, yeah. I... <laughs> Oh no. So I will say this. I don't like I didn't like turn In defense in, of my fuck up, an essay on Substack. I didn't turn them into total generalists. Like each one has like two things that they're being built toward. Hmm. Uh but it does mean at this moment there is no one thing that they're like aces at. And I'm not sure, like, <laughs> mind you, the first chapter you're also dealing with like veteran vampires who are like more powerful. Hmm. So you know, it does feel like the folks you're dealing with are like hard. They're they're hard to get the better of in conversations. I'm hoping once now that I'm away from the court, uh, I will be able to to get more. But it's not just all conversations. There's a lot of like, you know, adventure game, adventure game, like uh, investigating people's houses and uh, like breaking into their email, stuff like that. Uh, there's there's various levels of insight or like technical skills your your characters can have if you invested points that that make your investigation easier. Uh, so like one character, like one character, you might have invested stuff in technology, so they actually can just sort of crack passwords. But if another character comes to a similar uh, dilemma and they don't have that ability, that you better hope some other way in that computer exists because uh, you're not going to get you're not going to get it. Uh, but overall, though, I think it's just like all the all this gameplay is like kind of fun. I think mostly what's what's cool though is the game has a really cool vibe of I don't know if it it feels like you're taking part in a really good like role playing game module uh, in, in in some ways, um, and. I think it also has a really cool focus on what's the way I put this. Um, it seems exhausting to be a vampire uh, <laughs> in this world. And in, in a way that's really good because the big thing, like one of the central things of this game is that being a vampire means you will never be shot of your toxic acts. They will always be there. Because your toxic ex oh, God. is a vampire and probably the person who turned you. And so inevitably, all these relationships will wither and die because at some point in two, three hundred years, 
you're not going to feel particularly warmly uh toward toward someone and you fuck off but they're never they're never truly gone and the whole game feels like everybody is just mired in this residue of relationships that they can't make disappear because uh that's that's not how that's not how vampires roll it is just that people move away they come they come back they come back into each other's lives and all that history just continues to accrete uh and informs every interaction and that's how that's how this game feels uh where everyone is nursing a tremendous amount of history uh and anger uh at their fellow vampires and they can't do anything with it ah sounds like every podcast we do <laughs> i'm excited to hear how much you've sewed when it comes back around i didn't I well yeah I probably I probably do some <laughs> do some sewing actually. All of this vampire talk has caused me to take a peek at the Vampire the Masquerade wiki and wow there's a lot here huh? Yeah yeah wow there's there's a there's a lot of information here. Listen some of it sounds sick. So there's listen, a lot of clans. There's a lot of clans and also let me just know I feel like I don't know I think being a vampire would be manageable. <laughs> I would simply <laughs> kill the humans. I would simply exist forever and be fine with <laughs> and it. And be cool about it. Yeah, 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 yeah. We'll be real normal about it. Yeah. That, uh, look, I mean, that's basically where I'm ending up, too. I, I was like, I could thrive here. <laughs> oh. uh, let's see. Uh, Kata, you got Potionomics uh, written down here. Yeah. Uh, speaking of thriving, uh, Potionomics is... Um, a really fun game that we checked out during one of the next fests. Uh, the most recent one. Yeah. Um, uh, and it is a sort of, you know, it's a store management game. It's right in the name there. You're a potion seller. A sort of fantastical world. And uh, yeah, they make that joke in one of the loading screens. Uh, <laughs> prepare only your strongest potions, potion seller. Um, and uh, you, your uncle goes off to this magical island to open a potion shop. And then eventually you get three years, like, you know, letters from him. And this is just kind of all the opening, like, cutscene. And then at a certain point, you get uh, a letter that says, if you're reading this, I'm dead. And I've left you this potion shop in my inheritance. Um, so you make your way down to the island, only to find out that uh, along with the potion shop, your uncle has also left you an absorbent amount of debt that you have to that you now, as the next of kin in the will, have to pay off. So uh, from the jump, uh, you've got this very uh, sort of stressful situation. But this game is very, um, it's uh, like all the character designs are very cute. The, uh, there's like animations for it's. It's basically all kind of played out in. Uh, uh, non non voice dialogues and like each time you like click forward, uh, your character like does an animation for like the um, it emotes for what the the text is doing and all of those are very like well done and uh, not too repetitive, uh, but it's mostly kind of visual novel style, uh, moving through dialogue choices, uh, for the first part and then you get to the kind of store management part. So this is. At first, this is all we saw during the like demo, right? Is like you have to make potions, which requires specific ingredients, um, 
and then you have to sell those potions to people and like one of the main uh like uh points of this uh the, the this game which is a surprise deck building game is building a deck of cards that cue <laughs> for cue for audience laughter <laughs> Okay, three, two, one. All right, continue. <laughs> you build a deck that uh, is kind of your your haggling strategies. Uh, so people come into your store, they have a certain amount of patience, um, and each card that you play uh, costs their patience. Like that is kind of the the resource you're using to play these cards that will raise or raise their interest or protect you from their uh, kind of counter offers by doing a sort of you know pretty standard. Uh, um, they 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 flag what they're gonna do on their next turn, so you can set up by playing a you know defensive card that gives you a shield. Um, but it's each like little uh, haggling session is pretty short because every time you end a turn, uh, the their patience goes down. So on turn one, it goes down by one. Turn two, it, when you end your turn, it goes down by two, and etc. And most people only really have somewhere between seven and nine. Uh, uh, little ticks of patience, and most of your cards are one, some twos. Uh, I've only gotten like one three that I think is too expensive to ever actually play. But um, this uh, and this part of the the game is really only I would say a quarter of it. Even though it sounds like you could make the whole game this right is the 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 part where you play the cards. But what's actually more important. Is that there is a you know there's a there's a standard sort of uh, clock divided into segments where each thing that you do in the world costs time to do. So what you end up managing is needing to run around to different stores to mm-hmm. pick up ingredients. You need to manage spending time with other people because one of the only ways to get new cards for your haggling deck is to befriend other people and have them give you advice. And that advice turns itself into a, a new card. And there's some really, like, all the character designs are really fun and cute. And um, there's uh, uh, an, a new adventurer who's come who's come to town for the first time is going to start you know, doing uh, treks into the woods and like you can hire them to go, you can, you can hire her to go in and uh, basically collect uh, ingredients for you on the next day. So it takes a little bit longer. Usually you have to invest your own potions, like here, have a health potion to help her get further and deeper in to reach the boss monster to get really rare stuff. But then on the way, like as a return, you get really good ingredients. And the way that the ingredients work out is that basically... There's like um, what do they call the magic ma- magic? There's a magic bullshit points that <laughs> each each ingredient has in a, a certain type. So like they're just labeled A through A through like E or whatever, and the com- combination and ratio of those things is what makes potions better or worse. And it's um at first it's pretty simple. Like most of the early ingredients are very uh. They have one like one thing that they're good at, right? Um, but as you go on, uh, they start to get more and more complex. Where like there'll be a squid that has like a bunch of uh, letter B like magic in it, but and a little bit of A. But what you always want is usually for most of the potions so far. It's starting to change as I go on, but at at first 
you want an equal ratio of both of the things to make the potion good and worth worth selling. Um, so it becomes a little bit of a, a balancing act of like, okay, how do I get these numbers to to add up correctly? Uh, do I have to go buy some more specific ingredients that will get me there? Um, there's um, a fun kind of there's a there's like a lot of different you're you're spinning a lot of different plates because you've got the hero that can help you uh, by going out into the world and bringing back ingredients. Then you have the the guild master for the heroes guild who will just sell you ingredients straight up. But when you do that, it disrupts the ecosystem mm-hmm. uh, because you're kind of over hunting in, in a certain way. So you have to make sure to not over hunt in the same place that your hero is going. Uh, <laughs> Wait. <laughs> yeah. So, Every the, time you use the, the the guild, it basically implies that like they sent people in to the same region to get what you were buying. Yeah, because what you're buying is usually uh enchant like uh like high level stuff, and it's like you could just send your your person right. your, your 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 one hero in, and you have a chance to get high level stuff. But the, what the guild master like going straight to the guild master and being like, no, I want specifically this ingredient. It's it implies basically that you're sending like the entire guild is going out and possibly over like ruining uh, most of the environment. <laughs> how does that, how does that like rebound on you? Mostly in that, like your, if you do it too much, your sending out your individual hero just gets worse. And okay. at a certain point, that's going to be cheaper though than buying direct from the guild master. Right. It, so there's this balance of like, I need specifically a thing that the guild master will give me, but I know it's going right. to cause issues for my next run. Um, so there's a balancing act happening there. Then there's uh, a bunch of other characters that all do different uh, things. One of them is a um, a shop, a little uh, <laughs> a little witch twink that will uh, take things that you have extras of and start selling them back to you. Uh, he's fun. Um, and what's really, um, uh, what's really interesting is that the cards that you're getting out of them all kind of really, uh, they they work really well in so far as like being like, okay, yeah, this character is really well drawn, and the advice that they've given me, and thus the card that I've gained from like befriending them more, really ties into like what their whole like shtick is, what their whole deal is, and, um, it's been surprisingly like at first i was like okay this seems like it's gonna be pretty fun and like pretty kind of low stakes but as i went on here i'm gonna drop something for you about at every day at the end of the day it gives you a little uh hey this is how you did today this is kind of what your profit is looking at and at the end of day four uh things were looking kind of kind of dire you can see there. You start off with a big inv- in, in injection of capital. <laughs> oh, yeah. Now you're, now you're losing about okay, like sixty five, sixty seven a day. A day. Yeah. That's not good. That's not. It's not great. And also, um, there's this debt hanging over your head. Obviously, uh, there's uh, there's a kind of limit. There's a. They're like you know you have to make your first payment. It's going to be ten thousand gold. And really, the only way to make that amount of money is to uh, enter this competition. Uh, and so what you're actually kind of building towards is getting a ma- learning how to make a potion good enough that it'll win you the competition so you can get that big injection of gold. But also you have to balance like keeping the store afloat, 
right? And it's really, it, I feel like it does just like an excellent job at kind of giving this sense of like, there's a million things to always yeah. be doing when you're running a business, a store, and have to like make relationships with other people in order to like buy things from them. And also like, there's just like always a million things to do. And it's always like every time I'm sitting there like, okay, hold on. If I can put these things to brew now, that gives me two, I have to wait two time slots anyways for to finish brewing. So I'm going to go hang out with my good friend Mint and we're going to go smack some trees in order to reduce my stress. There's a stress meter, by the way, which is a percentage of as as you're haggling. Smack, smack trees? Yeah, it, you, you're can beating you around the bush. Um, you like, uh, I think you're looking for nuts, but they call it beating around the bush. And then you like, uh, take the nuts to like a, a local, uh, uh, ki- like soup kitchen and then they use it as an ingredient for the soup. Um, hmm. it's, it's implied that you're, you're just flirting with the, the, the second, the, the flirting is first. The secondary part is getting these nuts. Um, oh, that, that was when we were flirting with the tree. <laughs> no no um it's a magical realm let anything happen yeah there's some really fun character designs too like there's a, a really cool uh uh i guess she's a leshy now that i think about it she's really 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 neat she's got a deer deer horns and a cool wooden arm uh and she will make you uh furniture and shit there's like a lot of like systems of like okay you have to also spend money on making the space itself better because that will let you improve your prices and you know it's this whole really kind of surprisingly well done but still simple loop of like splitting your time um trying to get more out of these relationships not just in like a business sense there's kind of two tracks of relationships for each person it's like how close are you to them as a friend and how close are you to them as a a business connection which is which is a neat kind of divide and um yeah, I, I've just have I've been having a lot of fun and finding it a little a little more um, like intense than I expected out of the 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 demo, which thought I thought it was gonna be a more breezy kind of situation. I'm like, no, yeah. this is this has got me on this has got me on a back foot. And I'm I'm enjoying being on the back foot. Like it's it's neat to try to dig out of this. That does sound cool. The the like multi-access uh like approach of this game is is definitely sounds kind of cool um because yeah I, I tend like i don't know i tend to assume a game like this is going to end up being like a lemonade stand game in right. in some ways and right. with, with maybe some kind of funky wrapper on it uh so it sounds like it's way more interesting than that that sounds that yes sounds pretty yes cool. and it's got it feels like it's got some like pretty like interesting things to say about like uh just you know in like a barter style system the ways that like you require a certain amount of like glad handing and also just like legitimate friendship to like make things work and how there's never enough time for all of that as well um and and it's it's neat i'm I'm curious where it goes uh, as far as like that sort of storyline because like yeah you're you're looking at an immense amount of debt that uh is now bound to your soul because this is magic bullshit, which is fun. Yeah. <laughs> uh, shall we uh, hit the question bucket before we call it a day? Yeah. All right. Uh, 
reminder, you can send us all your questions at gaming at vice.com with the subject line uh, questions. So this is a good story. Uh, I just wanted to read it. Jake from Chicago. Hey, waypointers. Rob's anecdote from the previous oh, some time ago uh, episode regarding <laughs> playing hooky and sneaking into the office late at night to play Civ 2 unearthed a shameful memory from my teens where I was grounded by my parents and I responded by doing probably the most devious thing I've ever done. During my middle school years, I was inseparable from my PlayStation Portable. It was a gaming device, my first MP3 player, and my first internet browser all at the same time, and later became my first foray into modding and custom firmware. Sometime in the final month of 8th grade, while playing with friends, I had the PSP in my front pocket, and I broke it. The LCD panel had broken, but the outer layer of the screen looked fine, and it looked like it was in normal working condition. Luckily for me, my birthday was right around the corner, and I received enough money and gifts to buy a replacement. That summer, I had started to go down to, down the rabbit hole of modding, and one thing I learned was that any PS1 game became playable on a PSP through a simple file conversion. The game I played the most was Civ 2, and it absolutely wrecked my sleeping habits so badly that when summer ended and the following school year started, I was unable to adjust. After one too many warnings where I missed the bus, I was grounded by my mother, and the PSP had been taken from me until further notice. I respected the punishment for about a week until I remembered I still had the broken PSP. It then occurred to me that if I found where they had stashed my new PSP, I could swap the two out. (laughs) The next time I was alone in the house, I did just that, and I went right back to playing Civ 2. I definitely made sure to not to push my luck and force myself to fix my sleep schedule enough to where my parents didn't expect anything was up. After about a month of good behavior, my broken PSP was returned to me, to which I feigned excitement. Out of guilt, I've never told this story to my mother, who was 100% in the right to ground me for being a shitty, unruly teen. This brings me to my question. Did any of y'all get disciplined in your childhood for gaming-related behavior? And if so, was there anything you did to skirt around that punishment? Thanks for all that you do. Loving the new sports pod. I don't don't think I ever got gamer-grounded. I got gamer grounded. I got gamer grounded a lot, but I was too dumb to figure out this. This well, not too dumb. I also didn't have the opportunity of having an extra one to swap in. But my parents are very strict about the amount of time I would yeah. have on things. I would need to have like a dummy TV, a d- yeah. <laughs> dummy, uh, yeah. But the the skirting is beautiful. I love that. That's that's just top level. So I'm good. getting around shit. <laughs> yeah, I never, I never got gamer grounded, but they're like, there I was definitely not supposed to be on the computer after everyone was quote unquote asleep. And I remember discovering, I think it happened on this podcast year, years and years ago, the discovery that the, the old dial up modems that would go was like a thing you could turn off on the computer. That was not, your computer didn't have to make that noise. Apparently you could, you could make mm-hmm. that sound go away. Um, uh, yeah, I believe this was, I, I, I could be wrong. I, maybe I'm not mixing up, but I feel like someone wrote in and was like, actually like, you don't, they don't have to do that. And that was just a way to let you know that they were, they were working, but I didn't know that when I was 10 or whatever. And so I would go downstairs with like three or four heavy blankets, pull yep. the computer yep. out from the spot that it was in the desk Cover the Smother cover it. the machine with the blankets. Go through the AOL dial-up process. 
hope usually at night you didn't have to. So the way this worked back in the day is that and I think this were also was true of like CompuServe and, and some of the other uh, dial up services. But there were like you would have a number that you dialed into and like that was your slice of the service. And if that was too busy, there were other numbers that you could dial into locally so that you weren't doing like a long distance call. Technically, I guess you could dial into AOL California, but you probably wouldn't want to do that uh, because of the charges. And so you'd hope that it would go through the first time, not have a disconnect, not that it'd be too busy. And I would just have these blankets over it till it connected. And then it would take the blankets off, <laughs> put them on me because it was midnight. And then I don't know, be like not even really playing a game. I just, I was, I was just fascinated by the novel novelty of like going through message boards and, and stuff like that on, on AOL at the time. Um, and also that was the best time to pirate on AOL because I could, the, the I, this was well before I had cable or even I, I think we jumped yeah. from 56.6 to cable. We didn't do ISDN. Um, but like when I had like a 14, four baud, I think that's the first uh, modem we started with, uh, Th- that one was like, hey, I need this to run for six hours. So if my mom picks up the phone at, in, the, in the morning, that's fine. Like that doom, that doom piracy should have taken care of itself overnight. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like I was, uh, I basically was always being grounded from like sixth grade through to when I left for college. Uh, like it was just, I was in a constant state of infraction. Uh, but I think the... <laughs> The issue was always that my parents would think they would target whatever was the thing I was obsessed with, right? They would be like, no, no more PC for you. We're going to take that access away. Or uh, we've taken the Super Nintendo. You don't know where it is. And it's like, very well. Time for some retro gaming, mother. (laughs) And so, like, uh, it's time to bring the old NES out of of storage. Wait, uh, so they would just let you do that? Yeah, but that's they know. wild to me. That's they bad parenting. They wouldn't, they wouldn't know. Like oh. it was some. It'd just be sitting down there in the basement or something. Okay, and I was just quietly like you know pad down there. Uh, grab okay, I thought you were like it. taking this out of the basement and like fine, I won't play the Super Nintendo. I'll play the regular Nintendo. Yeah, so it, that tended to be how I sort of uh, skir- skirted these things. Um, but yeah, I mean, ultimately, like the the real the real liberation was of course uh internal you know where it's like <laughs> i can't be I, they can't ground me if i don't let them mm. uh, and so it it was it was very much like uh you may take my games uh but unless you're going to take books uh unless you're like i am not going to do the thing you want me to do uh that is just that is just how it is i'm going to go to friends houses and play video games uh like like how far are you willing to go probably not as far as i am and uh that is that is how that tended to work out what a cool kid getting getting into rob's villain monologue here jesus christ yeah no i mean like i was basically i was basically feral uh by the time of uh you know senior year of high school it was good times uh i mean the problem here was the problem i was fully formed in terms of like who i was going to be (laughs) Uh uh-huh it's like I love video games. I love fucking Star Wars. I love I love Max. Uh, I love racing, and everyone was like, "But you gotta, you gotta do school stuff." And I was like, "I beg to differ." 
<laughs> Jesus. Uh, uh, and I, and I was a writer. I was a really good writer by then. So that also, you know, it was it was like I sorry sorry chemistry unless unless you're unless you're going to raise your prose game. Uh, I don't think you have a lot to offer me here. Um, I think we have a good question. I don't. I think it might have came in unsigned. Um, but it's a it's a something it's something we can all contemplate. How much of your furniture is from IKEA? And at what age is IKEA furniture no longer acceptable? Oh, we've done this. I one. think we did this one. We did this oh, one. Did also. Also. We did this one. Yeah. Also, IKEA furniture is always acceptable. Is where that's where we landed. Yeah. yeah. Well, also, like IKEA furniture became way more durable in the last like fifteen years mm-hmm. than it was like twenty years ago. They added some higher levels of uh expense and durability as well, too. Like they used to be this, kind of all one yep. long one big tier of just like it's all kind of the same uh it's gonna last you the same but it's gonna be cheap and now there's a couple of like oh you can get a fancier thing there now i i didn't know that because like for me i will i will say this like it is kind of weird to me that there's kind of three tiers it's ikea stuff surprisingly good for what you pay mm-hmm. uh like often like kind of like nicely designed for what you pay uh then you've got like go on Wayfair or some equivalent and like there's tons of stuff, but you just have to research as to like which knockoffs are good uh, right. and which ones right. are going to be bad. And then beyond that, there's like real furniture from the furniture store at 10 <laughs> times the cost. Right. It makes it makes absolutely zero sense to me, uh, but it, that is that is where we live in. Uh, all right. Um, did, did you cover this one about PS now? Mm mm. All right. Uh, Somebody's asking a a fair question. Evan from Ireland uh, writes, I listened to your previous podcast and you went a bit deep on streaming games with the Stadia news and not specifically calling you out as as nearly any podcast I've heard on the subject only mentioned Stadia and Game Pass. But what's the deal with the lack of talk about PS Now? Now Plus. I understand that its relevance is not the same as Microsoft and Sony. Uh, don't do day and date, but for years before this is actually easier to read with an Irish accent. This is fucking me up. Uh, don't do day and date, but for years before either service, they have a pretty decent subscription model and a huge selection of games. And anytime I've used the streaming side of it, I rarely had any issues to boil it down. Why does there seem to be a collective unconsciousness in the games media to acknowledge something Sony has been doing for years before the competition? Cause the games rolled. Yeah. Like, so, the only like, thing that you can stream through PS Now is, like, PS3 games. Yeah, like, the, the games aren't day and date. Like, people want to stream the games they want to play right now. And that's, I mean, that's, that's like, the... And also, Sony doesn't talk about it. Yeah. Just, I, it I, just, just exists on their service. And I, I seem to remember, I think Natalie talked about this a couple of years ago. Like, she'd gone through a phase of trying to stream old games through PS Now and was not liking the the results either like i i feel like natalie was talking about like also the stream quality was not amazing the gameplay experience was not amazing mm-hmm. um but like, i assume like a lot of places did they they fixed like they came to grips with some of the latency issues but it it did seem like maybe in its earlier format uh it may not have been it may not have been super reliable but yeah, you know, we, the one place you can, the one place you can play bloodborne on pc that's what we used uh for our alone in the dark stream and that one, it played fine. Like we, mm-hmm. we stream and that played and looked mostly fine, but like it was definitely 
playing a game stream to my computer as opposed to something like playing locally. Yeah, I think it's fine. And it's not part of their business model. So I think that's part of why it doesn't get talked about all that much. Oh, yeah. Uh, this is a good one. I just want to hit it real quick. Um, so Halfpenny writes, the horror in fear is fun, but weak. That game is the best because of its enemy animations, AI and voice communications that actually change how they behave. Uh, Half-Life for many years had the best enemy AI. Then someone finally tried to do better enemy behavior, and that's what fear is. My question to you is, why is enemy behavior, the single element that will dictate how much I like a shooter, seemingly so ignored? Rarely do I hear about the time the soldiers in fear suppress the player through a window because they saw their flashlight while sending their squad men around the side to push out a couch, uh, push out a couch for cover and open fire for the kill. And way too often do I hear about how scary the little girl is. Is this why so few FPS enemies are fun to fight anymore? Uh, the devs just decided the effort wasn't appreciated, but but I appreciate it. Um, or what what game, modern or otherwise, actually impressed you with enemy behavior? Uh, aside from Half-Life and Fear, I always loved the Gene Stealers in the classic Space Hulk DOS games, uh, which used their perfect knowledge of the map to constantly flank and overwhelm isolated squad mates. Love the show, Halfpenny from the East. Um, so I, I actually feel like fear is constantly talked about with regard to mm-hmm. AI. Um, there is... I cannot remember the programmer's name, but like uh they're they're the the guy who like coded the AI in fear uh is is fairly renowned and I think gave a, a really detailed like uh like GDC talk about about the the enemies in fear and sort of the decision making they would they would go through and why they work. And one thing like th- there's a couple things. Uh I would I would argue that if you think about fear levels, you know, I think about fear, it's like tons and tons of cubicles. Like that is most of that game is like raging gun battles in office <laughs> parks and cubicles and stuff. Right. And part of it is because that whole game is largely constructed uh, to be an arena that the AI is really good at fighting at, uh, fighting in and fighting around. And I think that's that's a huge part of it is uh, the AI is constantly sort of like attaching itself to to nodes and corners uh, and identifying like when you've entered a flank position. And I don't think that is as easy to do if you're going to like open the game up a lot uh, mm-hmm. and sort of introduce that. Like if you go in the direction that the shooters basically did, which is uh, there's going to be a lot more like open world type stuff happening. Uh, so I think that's I think that's a huge I think that's a huge part of it. Uh, I also suspect that one like one thing that comes up around ai discussion a lot is uh there's what's good ai and there's what's perceived as good ai and those two are not different like yeah. sort of the curse of the ai programmer is you have to make you have to create an ai that the player will see the ai do something and be like well that was smart that was clever if the ai makes an objectively correct decision makes a correct read but it is inexplicable to the player. The player will be like, "This is fucking busted. What? What? A, what a right. garbage AI. That's bullshit. Right. It's cheating. <laughs> right? It's it, yeah. It's either cheating or it just it's making nonsensical moves. Uh, the the AI is a dumbass, and so you end up in this really like narrow sweet spot of having to create an eye that is like challenging. Uh, and in and it's it's it, decision making has to be intelligible. Uh, but also it can't 
it can't do anything to break the illusion that it's sort of like fighting fairly. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, th- like, I, I feel like both the Marine, like when you go after the Marines in Half-Life and uh, the, the guys you fight in Fear, they're given a pretty narrow brief when they pop up and and how how it's supposed to work. And I don't think it I don't think it translates uh, as as widely as as you might think. And I and I do suspect like a lot of a lot of the issues we we have with AI are kind of product of what we are asking of it. Uh, and also and also expectations like a, a huge part of of how we react to AI is kind of. As long as the illusion is sustained, we, we tend to be sort of generous and, and favorable to the AI. Yeah, this is this is pretty good. It's making making good plays uh lifelike the minute the illusion is broken we start to see all the flaws um mm-hmm. and it stops being like compelling adversary but that's that's kind of my take i don't think i don't think ai is neglected i think it's just, i think it's just really hard i uh i have a lot of fond memories of playing through the, the stalker game that you know when we did the 101 the ai in that game is fascinating not the ai that is player interacted but just the broader world AI, the amount of times you are just coming across things occurring that are indifferent to you and you can choose to interact and intervene or you can just watch it play out and see how that may or may not like cross your own path of how you're going through this world. I think that that is one of those things that is different from sort of like the the AI you're talking about, like the guards Mm -hmm. in Half-Life or the enemies in Fear, which are directly, hey, how is this interacting with the player? How is it bouncing off the player's directives and interactions? And Stalker... It was like, and I guess it's like open world games in general, but I, I felt it so acutely in Stalker, just the notion that, hey, there's a lot of indifference in this world. Uh, you can choose to interact with it or not. And I I thought it did a really good job of, of managing that. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I am a little stymied for recent examples where I'm like, that's, that's terrific AI. But I, I do think that's a, uh, that is a really good example of, uh, sort of a different a different challenge ai can can set for itself um yeah it's it's tr- tremendous stuff uh all right let's let's call it there um if you want more from waypoint you can follow us on twitter at waypoint facebook and youtube waypoint vice you can follow me on twitter at rob zachney ricardo where can people follow you at a underscore cotto underscore appears there's no way to like individually fight people in marvel snap is there it's just always random can't like we can't wanna, invite each other to a brawl can't invite each other to the i don't think so if there is i was i was gonna be like hey find me on snap at <laughs> here's my username or whatever not that i see yeah what if they never what if they always just keep seeding in computer players who are kind of middling but they don't tell you god and they create a social experiment where everyone comes away believing they're really good at Marvel Snap. I would far, I would far <laughs> so prefer funny. that than playing against it's other so people funny. and losing. Please do that to me. That's fine. I'll be the experiment. <laughs> yeah, actually, uh, I, I want, I want a goodbye Lennon uh, multiplayer experience. Uh, that is Truman. Show me, please. Uh, Patrick, where can people follow you? I have Patrick Klepek. Ren. At Ren or Raven. Uh, you can also check out what we published on waypoint.vice.com. Uh, this week you can catch up on Joe Biden's star turn on the fighting game circuit. What? Yeah. All right. Uh, you heard what he said? 
Look, the 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 age of Dark Brandon uh, continues to throw interesting Dark twists Brandon. our way. Exactly. Uh, you'd also uh, follow our streams on twitch.tv slash waypoint there. You know, you can catch up on the VOD of safe point over there as well as Patrick and I are going to be playing uh, some, some spooky games uh, th- this week that you'll probably be able to catch up on. Uh, I think right now we're, we're planning on playing some stories untold uh, for oh, our yeah. waypoint plus listeners. Uh, remember to remember to set time aside uh, to, to get caught up on white house down. Uh, and and really contemplate that movie uh, deeply. Uh, if that sounds good, or you just want more Waypoint, you can go to waypointplus.com and subscribe. Not only do you get access to our premium feed, but you're also helping support Waypoint and everything else we do here. Uh, and if you want to show not just support but zeal, go to waypointgeneralstore.com and buy some of our fine Waypoint merch. There might be new merch in the store by the time you are listening to this. Our theme music is by Bowen. The track is Miss You off the EP Pale Machine. Learn more at waypoint.zone slash B-O-E-N. For now, we are calling time on this week. We will talk to you again next week. Until then, fuck capitalism. Stay scary. Go home. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.